Good morning. It's good to be here this morning, each and every one of you. I just want to ask you a question, and I want you to don't answer it. Just think about it after we go through our lesson today. First off, what are we doing here this morning at this time? Well, hopefully we're all here for the same purpose, and I do believe we are. We're here to worship God. We're here to encourage one another. But you know, that takes a lot on our part. We have to believe that God will do what He tells us. We have to believe what God's Word tells us to do and not to do. We need to live our lives accordingly to Him. <clears throat> I know at times in our human eyes, it's really hard to do everything that God's Word tells us to and not to. But it kind of reminds me, a story here said that a man and a woman had just got married and they were returning home. They were crossing a lake in a boat when suddenly a great storm arose. Now the man was a true warrior, but the woman became very much afraid because it seemed that death was imminent. It seemed like their case was almost hopeless. Because the boat was small, the storm was really huge. And at any moment, it seemed like they were going to drown. But the man sat silently. The man just sat there calm and quiet as if nothing was happening. The woman was trembling and she asked her husband, Are you not afraid? Now this may, this may be our very last moment of life. It doesn't seem that we will be able to reach the shore before this boat sinks. Only some miracle can save us. Otherwise, our death is certain. Are you not afraid? Are you mad or something? Did you have a little bit too much to drink? The man laughed. <clears throat> took out the sword out of his sheath. The woman was even more puzzled. Here they are in the middle of this storm in this little boat. And the man pulls his sword out. What's he doing? Then he brought the shiny, sharp sword close to the woman's neck. Actually, it was so close that just a small gap was there. It was almost touching her neck. And he asked her, are you afraid? She thought about it for a moment. And then she started laughing. And she said, why should I be afraid? The sword is in your hands. You're my new husband. Why should I be afraid? Because I know you love me. The man put the sword back in himself and he says, 
That's my answer. I know God loves me. And the storm is in His hands. So what so is going to happen if it's going to be good? If we survive, good. If we don't survive, good. Because everything is in His hands and God can do nothing wrong. That's the same truth that we must have embedded in our hearts and in our thoughts. Brother Clay talked to us this morning in our class about learning. <clears throat> we studied on learning pure, true thoughts. What can be more true, more pure than us having faith that our God loves each and every one of us and He's going to take care of us. Now as you get out your books and turn them into 1 Kings, surprised you didn't. Chapter 13. <clears throat> As I said the last time we had a talk on 1 Kings, we are preparing to look at the life of Elijah. But before we can understand the purpose of the work of Elijah, because he's going to be our, our, one of our main focuses, we need to understand the world that he was sent to preach in. Now we noticed in our last lesson, 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, that Jeroboam, who is the king of the northern nation, now referred to as Israel, has not trusted in God's promise that were made to him. He didn't have the faith. He didn't have the trust in God's word. He fears that his people, when they go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, will decide that they want Rehoboam to be their king. So we see from our lesson that Jeroboam sets up worship in Israel and tells the people that worship should be more convenient. And how it is too much trouble for them to go all the way to Jerusalem, 1 Kings 12 and 28. 1 Kings 12 and 28 told them. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So he's telling them it's just so easy to worship right here. That's like me telling you it's so easy to just worship at the house at the breakfast table in the morning. Me telling you that is just as wrong as Cherubim telling these people because we are told to come together and encourage one another. How can I encourage you sitting at my table and you over at your table or vice versa? Not only do the people accept this, Jeroboam becomes invented to make all kinds of changes to worship that he has despised up out of his own heart. Just because, now because we have a chapter break, does not mean that our scene has changed. Because the first verse of uh, 1 Kings chapter 13 shows that Jeroboam is still in Bethlehem the location of one of the gold calves, where he is making offerings along with the rest of the people. 1 Kings 12 and 33. 1 Kings 12 and 33 tells us, 
So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in a month when he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered unto the altar and burnt incense. Well, if I stood up and tell you, y'all, instead of us speaking on Sunday morning, we're going to meet on Friday mornings. Hopefully you wouldn't be here. Because replacement of God. Because God's word said upon the first day. God's word tells us. God tells us when he wants us to worship. How he wants us to worship. He gives us his word on what we're supposed to worship on. What we're supposed to talk. Jeroboam's taking it on his own and saying, hey, we're going to do it my way. His way is not good enough. We got to do it God's way. And we see here that he is at Bethel, the location where to go. He's making these offerings. So God has a message to a number of people in 1 Kings 13. Now this message is very important for the life of Israel. But it's also very important message for our lives and our walk with the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Turn with me if you would. 1 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to talk to you about God's message here in these first 10 verses. Starting off chapter 1 said, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt unto thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Verse 4 says, And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried out against the altar of Bethel. Then he put forth his hand for the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it back in again. The altar was, uh, was rent, and the ash had poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Verse 6 says, Then the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand shall be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee. <clears throat> Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. Verse 10 says, So he went away another so he went another way, and returned not by the way he had came to Bethel. Notice here now how. Everything seems to be going Jeroboam's way as he sees it. Somebody comes in and says something against him. He's quick to say, hey, get rid of that person. Let's just get rid of him. Just destroy him. But then when something happens to him, you just notice how his attitude changes. Oh, wait a minute. We don't want to kill you. I love you. You're my favorite person. Will you help me out? 
I know you the man that can do it. I trust you're a God. This is basically paraphrasing that. I trust you're a God can do it. All you've got to do is ask him and he'll do it. What happened? He asked him and he done. This should change Jeroboam's whole world of thinking, shouldn't it? It should entrust in him that, hey, this is the true Lord. I might better listen to what he wants, what he's saying here. Because what we have just seen in these first ten verses, a man of God, which is another name for a prophet, comes to Bethel, where Jeroboam and Israel are making their offerings to the Lord. That the man of God declares a prophecy to this altar. He says that a future king named Josiah, who comes from the lineage of David, will sacrifice a, a sacrifice upon this altar these false priests of high places. Human bones are going to be burned on the altar. Further, the man of God said that he would give a sign that this will happen. The altar will be split apart. And he said that the ashes that are on it will pour out. When Jeroboam hears this prophecy, which is the clear condemnation of the worship that he had established itself, he stretches out his hand and he commands to seize this prophet. But the hand he stretched out, and we can't open him since this little thing here, uh, stretched out and commanded whether so that he could not bring his hand back in. His whole hand just withered. Verse 4 just told us. Then we see in verse 5 of 1 Kings 13, then the altar splits apart, just as God said this prophet. That should have really got Jeroboam's attention. Jeroboam asked the man of God to plead for the favor of the Lord so that his hand would be restored. The man of God intercedes for Jeroboam, and as I said, the king's hand was restored to him. Now the king now wants to reward this prophet, the same one he's just wanting to kill. And he asked the prophet to come home with him. Come have a nice meal. Let me give you a gift. Now you can imagine what a meal and what the gift would have been that this king would have gave this prophet for restoring his withered hand. A human side will, what am I, will tell us what am I going to ask for. I know I can get wealthy. But the man following God's word, the same as each and every one of us will see things differently. The man of God responds that even if he were offered half of the king's possessions, he would not go with the king. Why not? Because the Lord commanded him to not eat bread and not drink water or even go back the way that he came. Chapter 13, verse 9. So the man of God leaves, obeying the word of the Lord, going a different way than he came. Now we're left to wonder, what would this do to Jeroboam? Will this change Jeroboam's life? Will this change his way of thinking? As Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Because will this impact Jeroboam at all? The answer is not given to us right now. But God wants us to see something else first. We need to follow 
that man of God back home. Verses 11 through 34 asks us a question we need to ask ourselves. Who do you believe? Because we're getting into a little thing now, and I encourage you to read it for time's sake. I'm not going to read it. Verses 11 through 34. There's an old prophet who lived in Bethel. Now it's interesting that the scriptures do call him a prophet. His sons told him about everything that had happened at the altar in Bethel. So the old prophet gets on a donkey to track down this man of God who has proclaimed this message against Jeroboam and the elder. These verses tell us that the old prophet finds the man of God under an oak tree and he invites him to come to his house to eat with him. The man of God gives the same response that he gave to Jeroboam. He cannot eat bread, drink water, or return by the road he came, verses 16 through 17. Now the old prophet tells the man of God that an angel told him to come and bring him back to his house so that he can eat bread and drink water with him. He stopped and said, wait a minute. God told this man of God, don't give us a name, not to eat bread or drink water or go back the way you came. But now an angel has come Let's change his story a little bit. An angel has come and told him to come and get him. Now who's he going to listen to? Is he going to listen to that angel? Is he going to listen to the Lord? We notice though at the end of verse 18. See, it's so much easier for us. We got the whole story. We can flip to the end and look real quick, but man of God this time did. So the end of 18, that we're told that that old prophet was lying to him. We are not told anything about this old prophet. We do not, not know why he is lying to the man of God. But the thing of it is, is that's not the point of this text. As much as we want to know the motivation, and the reading this, I want to know, what did that old prophet gain calling himself to be a prophet. He knows he's lying. What did he gain? And I'm sure the sons told him everything he said, everything that happened. He told how he prayed to the Lord, listen to baby. But instead, what we're told is that the man of God went with the old prophet to his house. And he ate and drank. While they're at the table, the word of the Lord does come to the old prophet with a message for the man of God. The message is found in verse 21, chapter 13, verse 21. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee. He's telling him here that you have defiled you have defied the word of, of the Lord and have not kept the commandment that the Lord God gave you. You did not do what God told you to do. The man of God leaves the old prophet and the lion 
met him along the way. This line killed this man of God. Now his body was left laying on the road, but the lion did not eat the body. When the old prophet heard about it, he declared that the Lord did this because he defied the word of the Lord. The old prophet takes his son to go get the body and bring it back to his own city for burial. Rather than being buried in Judah with his ancestors, he was buried in, in, with Israel and the ancestors of this false prophet. All in all, it's an interesting story. But the question is, and I'm glad you asked, why are you telling me this story? That was long years ago. What can I learn from it today? I'm glad you asked. Because there's two things I want to talk to you in our remaining time that we really need to think about, we really need to take a look at in our daily lives. <clears throat> because these two messages that are given to Israel and to us, we can learn from these events. First off, we must believe the word of the Lord regardless of what other people are saying. This event gives us difficulty because we feel bad for the man of God. The man of God was deceived by the old prophet. It is the old prophet's fault that this happened to him. The lion should go eat that old prophet and go eat anybody for what he did. Not the man of God who was had been deceived. Certainly the old prophet sinned for what he did. And he would be held in account for it. Brother Clay said this morning, it's easy for us to find somebody else to blame our faults on. But that's not the way it's panning out here. As I said, the point of this event is to show us we bear responsibility to know what is the word of the Lord and to carefully follow the word of the Lord. The only way we're going to do that is by studying God's word. By being here Sunday morning, Wednesday evenings, studying God's Word. We cannot make the excuse that we were deceived by a church. We lived during a time that we would not even be able to make the excuse that we were deceived by a false prophet. But do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said that he did not care if an apostle or an angel from heaven should preach something to you if it is contrary to the revealed gospel we are to reject it and understand that the one who spoke to it is accused. You might ask him, well, where did you get that from? Let's turn with me over to Galatians. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 of Galatians. It said, Paul, an apostle, not a man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the church of Galatia, Grace be unto you and peace from the God the, the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil and world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He tells us there it's easily done. 
And then verse 7 picks up and says, Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would be perverted the gospel, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accused. Verse 9 says, As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accused. We need to study God's word. And when someone comes to us, no matter how, how high of a regard we hold them in God's word, we need to remember this. The Lord wants to change his word. He'll reveal it to us himself. There is so much religious noise, so many different teachings about God and about Jesus and about the Spirit and about salvation, about eternity and the like. We are responsible for learning the Word of God for ourselves and holding on to that Word, regardless of what anyone else says. You should never, ever believe anything that I say, being I'm in the pulpit, simply because I say it. You should never believe anything that we are told. You should only believe what we, what I say or other speakers say because you read it in the Word of God. That's when someone tells you, well, you know, the Bible says right here, or I read in the Bible this right here. Find out from them a little information. Find out what book, chapter, and verse. Who was it directed to? What's it pertaining to? And study it for ourselves. Because God's Word is our only authority. It's the instruction manual for our lives. It's so sad that there are so many people today who deceive, whether innocently or intentionally, with the Word of God. It is why I want every lesson to be in the position of the Scriptures. Because it is the Scriptures, not my ideas, that are authoritative. It's God's word that we have to go by. Who cares what I say or anyone else says? We care about what God says and we learn what he says in his, word, in his word when we study. This also means that the scriptures cannot be twisted or rejected from for experiences, opinions, or feelings. We cannot be, be upset with some sin and not others. We have a fine way of proclaiming from the rooftops the hair of sins that of all the horror of the sins and all that we did not commit, but we often are not interested in proclaiming those sins that we want to overlook with some fervor. We look for another way around God's laws. Got those itching ears because of our own experience. A person thinks that they can get a divorce because you do not understand what they're going through. A person thinks they commit sexual immorality because you do not know what their life is like. We might not know what they're going through or what their life is like. However, God does. But this doesn't change the Word of God. Further, we, we try to find other people who will agree with our sin. I cannot tell you how often someone is, will make a life decision that clearly violates God's law but will validate it because they found some preacher or Bible teacher who agrees with them. This is not how we define God's Word. We don't go out and look at somebody who's going to agree with it. We read God's Word, the written Word right here. 
It does not matter what other people teach. God is the only authority. I've had this happen when I was young and beginning to preach it. An older man wanted me to listen to all of the other of these preachers to show me how what I was teaching was wrong. Just because you can find someone to agree with you does not make you right. We have to have God's Word agree with us. We can't change God's Word to agree with us. So if there's a difference, we need to study God's Word and change our own way to live and our own way to thinking. We can line up all kinds of false teachers. And even the majority of us will still be wrong. Jesus told us that it is the wide path that leads to destruction. Many will find it. There is no consolation for having a bunch of people agree with you. Like the man of God who was deceived by the old prophet. We might be deceived by what other people are telling us. Now the second lesson I want us to look at, and I'm wrapping it up, is... We were left with a cliffhanger regarding Jeroboam. He had a significant life event happen to him. The man of God prayed to the Lord, killed Jeroboam's withered hand after hearing the declaration of God's word about his order and about the worship Jeroboam was establishing. Now our question is still, what did Jeroboam do next? Well, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 33. <coughs> Excuse me. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made against of the lowest of the people priests of high places, whosoever be consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. Some people just never learn to do it. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil way, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated them high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to his downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth, 1 Kings 13, 33 and 34. <clears throat> we see here that Jeroboam still rejected the word of the Lord. Jeroboam experienced a warning, mercy, and grace, but nothing changed. He still did not do what God said. This will be the problem for Israel for generations until its destruction. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about a couple hundred years later. Over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 2. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things have mine hand made. All those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look even to him that is a poor and of a contrite spirit and trembling at my word. So he's pretty much telling us his children's Bible version says that he would look favorable on this kind of person. One who is humble, submission in spirit and trembles at his word. God wants people who are humble so that they bow at God's word. They do not want to or even try to rewrite God's word. They do not ignore God's word. They allow God's word to change them. Now, amazingly, Jeroboam was unchanged by what he experienced, but maybe we should not be too surprised because we can do the same thing ourselves. We have heard the word of the Lord. We have had intercessions made on our behalf. We have experienced the mercy and the grace of God. Yet, 
what are we tempted to do but continue doing what we were doing and not change from our evil ways? There are those who continue to listen to their desires and to their feelings rather than what the Word of God of the Lord tells them to do. Now, closing and preparing us for the arrival of Elijah, the Scriptures have presented two pictures so far. First off, Israel wants to worship to be convenient. Second, Israel will not listen when God has spoken. We cannot take the grace of God and reject what God has told us to do. When God has spoken, we must listen. We must approach God with humility and submission. We must approach the Word of God, trembling at what is said, because it truly is the very Word of God. God's grace is caused is to cause that submission heart in ours. Otherwise, we are no different than Jeroboam. Taking God's grace and rejecting it. So if you need to be baptized, become a child of God. Maybe you've already been baptized, but you've stepped out of God's way. You need the prayers, the encouragement of your congregation. Whatever it may be, we ask you to come forward this time and we'll stand and sing our song of invitation.